It's Friday, July 19th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Normally. Today, we've got something different for you to mark a very special occasion. 12, 11, 10, 9. You've heard this sound before. Mission control, counting down rockets headed for space. But never has the world watched a launch with as much nail-biting, nervous excitement as this one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Apollo 11 headed for the moon 50 years ago this week. Apollo 11 was the event of the year, of the decade, and it defined an era. So today we're going to tell you that story and the backstory. How a bunch of really small steps added up to that giant leap for mankind. It's part of our notes series on our app. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. It was July 20th, 1969, 10.56 p.m. Eastern Time. And around the world, 600 million people were watching the exact same thing on TV. A man wearing a white suit, a 180-pound white suit, climbing down a ladder very slowly. And while the world held its breath, he put his foot down on the moon. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Neil Armstrong's giant leap for mankind is what most people remember from that night. But it took a lot of baby steps to get to that leap. And there were a lot more ahead, and even more that could still go wrong. So how did putting a man on the moon become a must-do? Let's set the stage. After World War II, the U.S. and Soviet Union emerged as the two great global superpowers. And they fought over a bunch of things. Influence over Eastern Europe, who had what nukes, and who could get to outer space first. In 1957, the Soviets launched the first man-made but unmanned satellite. Three years later, they sent Laika and then Belka and Strelka into orbit. Those were dogs. Then, in 1961, the Soviets sent the first human up, cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin. So yeah, at that point in the space race, the Soviets were ahead of the U.S. by a mile. A few weeks after Gagarin's historic journey, President John F. Kennedy announced it was time the U.S. step up their game. And he set his eyes on a pretty out-there destination. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. NASA took JFK's call and ran with it. They called it Project Apollo. But they knew it would take years to bring a man to the moon. After Kennedy was assassinated in 1963, President Lyndon B. Johnson took up the cause. Then, President Richard Nixon continued the project when he took office in 1969. Meanwhile, NASA hired astronauts and engineers to turn Kennedy's dream into real life. At the peak, 400,000 people were working on the Apollo program. The U.S. program hit its first big rough patch in 1967 
during a rehearsal for the first manned Apollo 1 flight. Apollo 1 wasn't meant to go to the moon. It was the first in a series of missions designed to test the equipment. But during the rehearsal, a fire swept through the command module on the launch pad. All three astronauts on board died. The NASA engineers and scientists learned from that and completely redesigned the ship. For the next couple of years after that tragedy, NASA launched a bunch more tests, manned and unmanned missions to Earth's orbit, and then the moon's orbit, Apollos 4 through 10. So they were getting closer and closer. But they didn't just need to build the spacecraft. They had to invent all kinds of things that would allow the astronauts to actually live and work in space. They had to make a computer small enough to fit in the ship's command module, make sure astronauts had enough to eat, and figure out how to purify water. They had to make a suit that could protect astronauts from the cold and from the heat. And don't forget, they had to be able to walk and use machines on the moon. A lot of the tech NASA developed for the Apollo missions is still around today. You might even have it in your house. Stuff like freeze-dried food, cordless power tools, that Mylar emergency blanket in your car. The microchips that are in everything were developed out of the integrated circuit created for the mission. So after all that tech and all the trials, it was finally time for Apollo 11, the one that would finally put a man on the moon, nearly 240,000 miles away. Three astronauts were selected for the Apollo 11 mission. Command module pilot Mike Collins, lunar module pilot Edwin Aldrin, a.k.a. Buzz Aldrin, and Commander Neil Armstrong, who was making his second space flight. The journey to the moon and back on Apollo 11 would take eight days, but it wasn't a straight shot. The trip involved a lot of stopping and going, with a bunch of anxious NASA engineers watching from mission control. Think of the Apollo 11 like a big, heavy tower of building blocks, part huge rocket, part propulsion system and engine, part cramped vacation apartment. Throughout the journey, each of those parts would get used and then break off when its purpose was complete. Basically, most of the Apollo 11 would become a lot of space junk. All that was supposed to come back to Earth was the tiny command module at the top, aka the cramped apartment. So they had the crew and they had the spaceship. July 16th, 1969 was liftoff. Three, two, one. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. And away Apollo 11 went. Still in Earth's atmosphere, the engines fired in the first two stages until they ran out of fuel, separated, and then fell into the ocean. The astronauts in Apollo 11, Collins, Aldrin, and Armstrong, circled the Earth once, then set off out of Earth's atmosphere toward the moon. What followed was a three-day journey to the moon. Apollo 11 was being pulled by the moon's gravitational force into its orbit. Then, after three days, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong got into the lunar module, a.k.a. the Eagle. Mike Collins held down the fort inside the command module. The Eagle was supposed to land on autopilot at a specific destination on the moon picked out ahead of time. But as Aldrin and Armstrong got closer to the moon, they noticed the computer had miscalculated and overshot its intended destination by four miles. Now, Armstrong was in unfamiliar territory, literally, and running dangerously low on fuel. The moon isn't a flat surface. Armstrong realized he'd have to eyeball the landing to avoid huge craters that were below him. So he grabbed the controls, 
and overrode the autopilot. 700 feet, 21 down, 33 degrees. 100 feet, down at 19. 540 feet, down at 30, down at 15. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Yeah, the Eagle has landed. If you've heard that phrase before, that's where it comes from. Roger, Tranquility. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. About six and a half hours after landing, Armstrong emerged. And the entire world watched it happen, live. Then, hand still on the ladder, Armstrong immediately went into data collection mode. Yes, the uh, surface is fine and powdery. I can, I can pick it up loosely with my toe. It does adhere to, in fine layers, uh, like uh, powdered charcoal, to the uh, sole and sides of my boot. About 15 minutes later, Buzz Aldrin followed Armstrong out of the lunar module. And they went to work. Aldrin set up some science experiments, and Armstrong began exploring the moon's surface and collecting moon rocks. They bounced around in their moon boots. They mounted an American flag on the moon's surface. And they took a call from the President of the United States, Richard Nixon. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made. I just can't tell you how proud we all are of what you For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. And for people all over the world, I am sure they too join with the in recognizing what an immense feat this is. What the world didn't know was that the president knew at that moment there was a very real possibility that Neil and Buzz might never make it back home. To leave the moon, they had to get the lunar module off the moon's surface and back up to the orbiting command module and get back inside, something they hadn't been able to practice back home. Here's how real that possibility was. Nixon had already prepared a kind of obit, just in case Armstrong and Aldrin got stranded on the moon. In it, he wrote, quote, Fate has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. And in fact, there actually was an issue. When the two got back to the Eagle, one of the circuit breakers on the ascent engine was broken. Buzz Aldrin ended up fixing it with a pen. Super high tech. So Nixon's speech stayed in the drawer. Aldrin and Armstrong rejoined Collins in the command module and propelled out of the moon's orbit. Then they dropped the eagle and rocketed back to Earth at 25,000 miles per hour. On July 24th, eight days after liftoff, the Apollo 11 released its huge parachutes and dropped down in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, 950 miles southwest of Hawaii. When the astronauts reached Hawaii, they actually had to go through customs to declare what they had brought home with them. On the list, they wrote, moon rock, and moon dust samples. That's actually part of what made Apollo 11 so important. It wasn't just about beating the Soviets. Those astronauts and those who went to the moon after them brought back the first samples from a place other than Earth, some of which are only just being studied today. 
scientists kept some samples vacuum-packed to wait for technology to improve so they could study new things over time. The Apollo 11 mission was to get a man to the moon and back, so we could learn more about our solar system, our history, and what life is really like out there. Getting to the moon was step one of that process. So what's the skim? The Apollo 11 moon landing took hundreds of thousands of people, billions of dollars, endless tests, and a lot of guts. Tragedy struck along the way. But in July 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first humans to ever set foot on the moon. There were a lot of things that could have gone very wrong, but they didn't. It was a spectacular success. The lunar enthusiasm that launched those big dreams started to wane pretty quickly. And no one's been back to the moon since the early 70s. But now, there may be a comeback. NASA says it hopes to go to the moon again by the year 2024. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening this week. If you haven't yet, be sure to hit subscribe so we're waiting in your podcast feed every weekday at 5 p.m. Want to go deeper into space? Sure you do. Download the Skim app right now to see our full deep dive on the future of space travel. And while you're there, listen to our other audio guides giving you the context behind the stories shaping our world. The Skim app is available on the Apple App Store and on Google Play. 